Thanks for joining us at Placentia Presbyterian Church online for worship this Sunday. Um, it's an abbreviated worship. You get a sermon, you get a communion. Um, the reason is that we're not gathering in person is that we had a, a member of our staff uh, contracted COVID and the rest of the staff has been exposed. So we're doing diligence and, and making sure everybody's safe from the staff as well as in the congregation. So we're our, our goal and aim is to make sure that we don't do anything uh, that would infect anybody else. So um, all precautions are being taken. We're all isolated until we can get negative tests so we can return to work. And uh, that's what's going on. We continue this week in uh, the Gospel of John and in our text for this morning. And I'd like you to watch this video. Our text this morning is clear. It's just a fascinating change in pace, isn't it? This morning we're looking at verses 6 through 8. And it basically says this. It begins by saying, There was a man sent by God whose name was John. We move from this great big cosmic Jesus to a particular person named John. 
And it's really amazing to go from this big picture, this blow your mind, kind of open up the possibilities outside the box thinking to there was a person. This person's name is John. Now, John, we know, is John the Baptist. He, John the Baptist was um, a cousin of Jesus. His mother is Elizabeth. And uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, they were cousins, Elizabeth and Mary. And we know that they were born really close together in terms of months. And uh, and John was born a little bit earlier. And um, he is the last in the line of a kind of prophet, the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets, as we understand as Christians, end with John. John is like them. He's a, a crusty, he's not very nice kind of person. He's nothing cuddly. He's, he's, um, he's going to call people a brood of vipers. He's going to uh, attack and he's going to convict and convert. He's, he's calling people to repentance. He's not um, the nice friend and the nice person you want to hang out with. And so uh, John is, is this forerunner. And maybe the last word and the first word right before Jesus, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, trying to announce the coming of this new person, this new, the Messiah that's coming. Our text says that he came to bear witness, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. John sort of looks at it this way and, and later on will say, as he sees Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. That Jesus needs to increase in fame and recognition, and John needs to decrease in that. And that will happen pretty quickly with John and with Jesus. Jesus will overtake him as a human being, as a presence, as the person on the tip of everybody's tongue. And it's John's goal that that would take place because he knew he himself, as our text says, was not the light. In that sense, witness isn't about us. Witness isn't about our story. It's about Jesus and Jesus' story. It's about who Jesus is. John was not the light. But so many times as Christians, we think that our story is the story that will convict and convert and show people that we really are um, uh, important to what God is doing, that somehow people really will pay attention to all of that. And so we, um, we, we kind of reverse the position of that and we become the subject of the story. Um, my sister was a photographer and I learned several things when I had the opportunity to work with her and she would tell me about what to do. It didn't make me a better photographer, but it did give me some insight into how she uh, worked and how she lived as a professional. She, um, was uh, doing some work for me, uh, uh, volunteering to take some photographs of a model of the facility of the sanctuary and the facility we were building at Tribuco Presbyterian Church. 
And we had this wonderful architectural model that showed everybody the future. And we're taking photographs of it so we could put that in a brochure and slides and other things so we could use it to share with the congregation the scope of the work. It was a wonderful opportunity to be with her. And we got together and I brought the model into our garage and at home and and that's where we set up the studio and she came and for one of the things she unrolled was this big piece, probably six foot by six foot piece of um, velvet, black velvet. And what I learned was uh, she could have used paper, she could have used all kinds of things to do it, but the black velvet actually absorbs light. Everything else, even a, even a real dark background, will have a little tiny reflection off of it. But because of its texture and other things, black velvet will actually um, absorb all the light. So all of her lights, all of her strobes, all the things she was going to use to photograph this model um, would not reflect on anything else. And the only thing left would be the thing itself, the model that we were looking at. In some ways, um, it's, it's a helpful way of thinking about what reflection looks like and how it can help us. If we're black velvet, we're not reflecting anything. We're just absorbing everything for ourselves. And that's, that's kind of the story of Narcissus, isn't it? The Narcissus was so in love with his own image that he, he basically saw the whole story just being about him. That life and love and everything else was just about his own self, his own self-glorification, his self-love. The story of Narcissus' life is about him. Um, there's a character in Harry Potter that Gilderoy Lockhart, some of you will, will know from the books, and, and, and Gilderoy was a professor, but he was just about himself, a vain, arrogant man who, who had a great smile and a great presence, and, but everything was about him. The only thing he needed you for was for you to adulate him, to uh, praise him and, and be awed by his very presence. Every now and then his golden hair would just be perfect and he'd give a little smile in the, in the film. There would be just a glint of, of a shine like a star off of his teeth. Um, and, and it just was uh, a caricature of someone who was completely self-absorbed. He wasn't there for the students. He was simply there for himself, his self-aggrandation. It's, uh, I, I, I grew up in a time of, of a lot of public witness. And I came to faith and, and we had an organization called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And during that time, I, I remember listening to people's testimonies about um, their own faith. And if we look at John, John is there to do what? To witness, to testify to the light. And these people would start off their testimonies in a way that, that felt like it. I mean, they were saying, you know, I, I've achieved a lot of my life, but but all the glory belongs to God. And then they would spend the next 30 minutes of their testimony talking about all the great things they did and how many trophies and awards they'd received. And they were all American this and all American that and all pro this and all pro that. And before it was over, everything had switched. The glory had moved from being the glory of God to being the glory of what I had accomplished. And it's, it's such an interesting thing for me to reflect on that in relationship to this text. I don't care how often Jesus is mentioned, but if the story is about the change in my life and not about 
the power of God in Jesus for others, then it is not the gospel. Because the gospel is really completely about Jesus. It's not about the dramatic changes we go through. It's about Jesus living, dying, his resurrection for our sake. And we get to live a new life that's not about us in him. Sometimes I think that we've got it all backwards. We live a very, in a very spiritualized way that we become the glorified and Jesus is the one that's supposed to glorify us, that we get lifted up. It happens all the time. We talk about mission and other things. And, and in general, what the purpose of the gospel is, we, we forget that the gospel is about others. It's about Jesus and about what Jesus does for someone else. It's not about what Jesus does for me. And I'm just merely a reflection of it. We, we suffer from a kind of spiritual narcissism where we become like black velvet, where, where the story is about all these different things that, that we do and how I've changed and not who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And so we begin to be um, about all these things that actually become like black velvet. Um, we simply absorb the light into ourselves and we don't reflect it. And so the reflection is, can we get people to look back at the source of the light? Can we get people to move? One simple way of seeing if that's what's going on in your, um, in your own um, testimony, in your own witness, is just look at who's the subject of the sentence. Is it I? Or is it thine? Is it me or thee? Am I the center of the discussion or is Jesus? We can illustrate with things from our lives, but the story eventually has to go back where Jesus is the subject and we're the objects of his affection and how good Jesus is to do that. And we, he must increase and we must decrease. One of my favorite places on the planet after going to, and I've been to some pretty remarkable places um, that, that are just remarkable examples of the glory of God in terms of creation. And for me, the first place to go is always the beach and to be near the ocean. But this, my second favorite place has to be Yosemite Valley. Um, it's just got so many different pieces of God's grandeur and creation in that one small place. And one of my favorite things is to be there in the summer and to be there at sunset and after, because there's something that happens in the valley that happens on those longest days of the summer that doesn't happen any other time. The sun is particularly positioned to shine right off the face of Half Dome. And that big granite face just glows. In fact, it, it takes on a heat itself and it reflects heat and light long into the evening. And I just love that. I love to bask in that. I love to be in the valley when you can still see and do things, but the day is cooling and night's coming, but the light is still there because it's reflecting off this remarkable piece of granite. And, um, in a sense, that's what John's trying to say about John the Baptist. 
that the gospel writer is saying, listen, John is merely a reflector of Jesus, an important part of the story, but reflecting the light. He's not the light. He's a witness to the truth of who Jesus is, but he's not the truth. And whether or not he actually does really well in his life and, and lives really close to Jesus, that's not the point. It's that, that he's reflecting back and saying, real life is over here. I'm lucky to be walking and talking about it. I'm not the example. Jesus is the example. The gospel writer understood this. Leslie Newbigin says in this, is it says that God lit up John. And I love that phrase. God lit him up as a reflection of the truth, of who the truth is. So it didn't stick to John. There's nothing about John. We hear this about Paul as well. There's nothing about Paul that would have us attracted to Paul. But the reflection of Jesus off of Paul was enough to have people turn and face Jesus. Witness means that others must see Jesus clearly and by his light themselves see their own lives clearly. So we reflect so others can see themselves and they can see Jesus. And as they look at Jesus, that light that emanates from Jesus, that truth, that life, the way itself is lit up and they can see for themselves who they are, what they are, and who Jesus is, and they move towards him. That's what God's doing. I have a spiritual director. His name is Wilkie Owl. If you ever come across his books, the Through Paulus Press, all of them are great. He wrote one not long ago on shame that I think is just simply the best description of a, of a condition many of us find ourselves in. But spiritual direction functions like this for me. I go into, uh, now I don't go into an office. I actually meet him on the phone and we talk. Uh, we don't do a video chat. He prefers just to listen. And he's a very good listener. And he listens to me and I tell him the story of my four weeks since we last met. I tell him what's going on. I tell him what I've noticed and what's been important to me. Sometimes it's just mundane things. Sometimes it's irritating things. Sometimes it's glorious things. It could be any of it. Or I could just simply say, you know, not, not much is really happening. And then I'll talk about the week and, and the events of it, and maybe the week before that and the week before that. And pretty soon, this is what's happening. Wilkie listens to me. And as he listens, he reflects back to me where he sees Jesus. So he begins to say, Craig, that's the grace of God. That's the reflection of Jesus coming through your life. Your experience of that, that's a grace. You, you need to stand back and be in awe of this. That, that when somebody says something or blesses you in some way, that's Jesus. And Jesus is reflected off of you back towards me. And I'm catching that from you. I'm catching a joy that's going on because that joy contains Jesus. Or I'm, I'm catching a sense of of forgiveness and love that you're experiencing. That's a reflection of Jesus. And I'm catching Jesus from you and how you describe that. I'm seeing that. And then he points up the places where he's not seen and says, you know, you know your, your sense of guilt and shame, Craig, that, that isn't from God. That's not a reflection of Jesus. 
In fact, that's that black velvet. It's just, it's not something that God's doing. And so Wilkie does that with me. This is Jesus and this is not. And he points the way. And the question is, will I see Jesus more clearly as a result of this process? And I have to say, as my life has gone over the last 25 years with Wilkie, I get to see Jesus at work more and more because he points it up and points it out. So my question is, does Jesus light you up? Are you lit up by Jesus like John got lit up? Do you see him more clearly at work as the way, the truth, and the life? Are you different because of that encounter? Are you reflective of the fact that it needs to be less of you and more of Jesus? If we're lit up like John, then we light the way for others to Jesus. And two things happen. One, people actually see Jesus. If I decrease and Jesus increases in my life, they see that. Not the black holes of my life. I mean, it, they begin to see because I've got these reflective places where God's addressed me and now I'm reflecting that new life. And we're changed. We become different. Those those black velvet areas of our lives, the 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 bigotry we hold on to, and the the insistence of of my, my insisting my rights and my privilege, or insisting that that um, I have to have it my way or a certain way, that that somehow that I need to hold on to myself to all of those parts that are no longer reflecting Jesus that I'm going to reflect I'm going to hold on to those the things that my hurts and sufferings and pains the same places where I've been wounded I'm going to hold those on hold on to those Jesus is reflecting off those he reflects when we get healed he's reflecting more and more when we are people who let go of old hurts and old agendas and old maps that no longer work old shame old guilt and to have that guilt and shame replaced with God's love. And now I become a reflector. We're changed. You might say we're tanned even um, because we've been in this bright light. We appear different. There's a mark left. And it's not a mark of my goodness. It's my goodness. It's a mark of Jesus. Pray with me. God, we want to reflect you to others. Help us face the black velvet parts of our lives and bring them out into the light so you can get at it and you can change us and heal us and make us new and make us new so we can receive you afresh. And then it's no longer about us. It's just simply about you and more and more of our life is captured by your goodness and not our agendas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, you can 
um, interrupt this video and stop it. If you need to get communion elements, we're going to share communion together as we shared in our email with you. So if you'd like to go get a, some bread, go get some juice, get wine, whatever you need to have some elements so you can share in this. I'll take just a moment and then we can begin. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread that was at the table, a, a simple meal that he had celebrated before with his disciples. He took the bread and, um, and he took some wine. And he forever changed the way that his disciples and down to 2,000 years later, the way we look at bread and wine. He changed our thoughts about it. Ordinary things that we encounter every day are now extraordinary in nature. And that's what God does in communion. He takes ordinary lives and makes us extraordinary beings. God takes ordinary aspects of our lives and changes. So when we see bread, we can have an imagination that says, the body of Jesus is present, even if it's not a communion Sunday, even if it's just a meal with our family, even if it's just a sandwich that we eat, that the bread and things that are gathered there are things that we should think of as the bread of life, as Jesus himself. And that when we drink, that, that we are really drinking this new promise that Jesus makes in his blood. So Jesus takes ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. And he takes the bread that's at the table he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup that was at the table and he poured it. And he blessed, he said, this cup represents a new covenant that I'm going to make in my blood, a new promise. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you'll celebrate my death until I come again. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. People will come from north, south, east, and west and sit at table in the kingdom of God. And you and I are supposed to mirror that and be a sign and foretaste of that banquet, that heavenly kingdom banquet. We're supposed to embody that now. So we put aside our differences. We put aside all the challenges of what it means for us to come together. And we set those aside. We let God heal those. We ask for forgiveness. We become new people and because we're with him, and we get it sit at a table together and partake in this meal. It's a little glimpse into heaven, and we get to do that every time we come together, is to get a little more glimpse of the kingdom of God and demonstrate it to the world. We're supposed to live into that. That's how we reflect the light, is that we become more like what God intends. So we do that, and we become more like him, and we share in this meal. You don't have to be a Presbyterian. You don't have to be a member of Placentia Presbyterian Church to take this. Simply someone who confesses Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and you intend to live out that commitment with one another as disciples, not in isolation, not in factions, not in other groups, but your unity is going to be an expression of the love of God and the power of God in Jesus Christ. That's what we do together when we take this meal. If you're committing yourself to Jesus for the first time in this moment, then I'd love for you to email me, text me, call me. I'd love to talk to you about the beginning of this new journey that you're on. I was told that when you do video that you shouldn't actually eat in front of people. So I'm not going to eat in front of you and drink in front of you. 
what I am going to do is say, please partake of this meal as you're ready. Give it some time to think about it, to consider what you're doing. Receive Jesus as your own. And now receive the benediction. May you, as you receive Jesus, not hold on to him and cling to him as something to possess, but may you become a reflection of his glory to all you encounter. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Hope to see you soon.